1600 KIVA, abq.fbrockoftalk.com. Here with Jeffrey Candelaria's Straight Talk, ladies and gentlemen. Looking forward to the show each and every week, getting more and more feedback all the time as Jeffrey sets the record straight uh, with his guests and with his insights. As always, you can check him out every Saturday afternoon beginning at 1 p.m. Uh, right here and the one and only Kiva. Jeffrey, good afternoon. Good afternoon again, Eddie. Thank you again for providing this uh, this platform to provide uh, hopefully some good content, enlightenment, and to challenge our our brains with some critical thinking, uh, cultivating a curious mind, and having some conviction about various things called the human experience. Uh, before I introduce my guest, I'd like to recognize my sponsors, Pablos Panagopoulos, Satera uh, Financial. We'll, we are going to be bringing on some new sponsors uh, beginning in March, so very excited about that. Also, the tip of the week brought to you by uh, S3 uh, Security and Ben, ben Mozek. Given the uh, Russian invasion and uh, the possible being compromised by cy- cybersecurity at, at a you know geopolitical level, if you will, here is my tip of the week. According to our local company here, Ben Mozek uh, with S3 uh, Security, there is a cyber attack called or a malware attack called distributed denial of service attacks Uh, ransomware instances are increasing uh, both for your personal computer and at the uh, the business level the infamous sandworm voodoo bear gro that's a russian initiated uh, uh, malware that's absolutely been taking place at certain businesses across the country so if you have any issues with cyber you know security or protecting your computer both at business and or your personal computer particularly your businesses give ben mosick a call at here albuquerque based s3 security his phone number 505-242-5683 or get a hold of me jeffrey candelaria by the way if you'd like to sponsor the show or submit a you know a possible candidate as a guest or learn more about S3 Security, get a hold of me, jeffrey.candy77 at gmail.com, jeffrey.candy77 at gmail.com. So today's show, we're going to talk about guns, business, and geopolitics, given what's uh, taken place in uh, the Russia, former Soviet Union, Ukraine area, Ukraine area last week, and the precipice of you know a NATO country being attacked. And God forbid the precipice of some kind of European war. Uh, I wanted to talk to Mark Abramson about guns, business, and geopolitics. Uh, Mark, welcome to Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelaria. Thank you so much, Jeffrey. It's a pleasure to be here. Always a pleasure. So we're gonna, you know, we're gonna really talk about many constructs across the human experience spectrum. As I said, guns, business, geopolitics. But let's talk business first. You. You're a business owner here in Albuquerque. I understand you're moving if, if you haven't already done so. I'm one of your consumers of ammunition, and, and I've purchased guns from you for my own purposes, hunting, protection, and so on. What has it been like to survive the Chinese virus over the last couple of years? You know, and, and be specific about, you know, supply chain issues, inventory, staffing. What's it been like as a small business in Albuquerque surviving uh, the Chinese virus? Yeah, it's the biggest challenge has been meeting all of the restrictions governments placed on us to be open for business. 
our customers, our guests have been coming in in larger numbers. Sales have increased, and I think that's not just us. That's across uh, the industry. And it's because people have finally accepted the responsibility to take care of themselves, knowing that the police, whether defunded or otherwise, uh, are just not going to be there when they need them. The unrest, uh, whether through Black Lives Matter, uh, Antifa, or the far right, has just caused people to say, I have to hunker down in my home, and I need a gun or I need a, a less lethal tool available. And that demand has really outpaced the ability of the industry to keep up. Who are, And they're also working under those same restrictions. So they can't keep up with the production demands. And that's been like that now for two years. Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelari. My guest is local business owner Mark Abramson, co-owner of Los Ranchos Gun Shop. You know, curiously, government, whether it's our form of government, the Republican uh, democracy or Republican democracy that was formed... Uh, 1787, the Constitution, Bill of Rights, 1792. One of the first functions of government is supposed to provide safety for its citizenship, right? That is and the it, fundamental it, purpose of government. And it's it's almost, it's, it's, it's curiously antithetical to what's going on in the mindset of the average American who now feels that government will not provide safety for me as a citizen, hence gun sales are up because people want to take safety into their own into their own hands yeah and that's that's true i mean government has failed us in so many regards and by taking away the independence of business and business owners and the employees and all of a sudden telling people you're on your own you have to shop at this store you cannot shop at that store yeah uh that's really undermined the entire infrastructure yeah. of, of our economy. Yeah, Home Depot, you can be open, but if you're a church, you have to close down. Correct. I mean, it's, you know, and people don't even think about what happened at that time, that there was this designation, very arbitrary. So you're a certain kind of business, you're, you're non-essential. This whole non-essential, essential, you know, kind of dichotomy that was arbitrarily put forth across the country was was really a an affront not only to our liberties but just even common sense and it what surprised me more than anything mark you're a learned guy is the lack of pushback by various populations across this thing called the united states 330 million not including the illegal aliens there was very little pushback uh not only was there not pushback there are people who did and continue to embrace that shutdown and congratulating people. Like, give me an example. What, what do you mean? There are people who believe that our governor saved New Mexico. Oh, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, well, but the average person is woefully ignorant, woefully unwilling to engage in critical thinking, and woefully uninterested in standing for something for themselves, wanting extrinsic sources like government and getting a free check to basically conduct their lives. So it doesn't surprise me that, remember that one of the most dangerous things that's happening in the human experience is an attachment to a false premise. Well, and what we saw was those checks that went out to help people through this time when they weren't working, I can tell you where they were used. Those checks went to buy refrigerators, went to buy cars, and went to buy guns, did not go to the landlords to pay the rent 
because there was no enforcement mechanism available to landlords. Yeah. And that uh, moratorium on having to be accountable to your dwelling, and I'm sorry that you're poor. I'm sorry that you're a single mother who chose to have 14 kids. I'm sorry that that happened. But why is that the landlord's fault, who is himself or herself, in most cases, not trying to do anything but earn a profit last i checked that's not a bad thing in this thing called the capitalistic system and by the way the people that that criticize capitalism then you're criticizing your own uh, apple phone your own brand new technology your own brand new surgical procedure because capitalism engenders and fosters this thing called innovation right it you would think, but many will attribute that to government and government largesse that has funded all of these inventions and the opportunity to create them. And it's a real misunderstanding of people um, to, to understand that, that basic tenet that you were describing uh, that has led to this. It's about government fixing everything right now. Yeah. And I'm not a capitalistic apologist because there are certain, there are certain segments of our capitalistic system that are rife with greed and avarice and exploitation but on the whole the the opposite the inverse of of capitalism is bureaucracy and when's the last time anybody on straight talk with jeffrey candelaria heard of a bureaucrat innovating anything i mean you know come on usually a camel is the result of a bureaucratic committee trying to design a horse so uh you know Capitalism engenders and fosters innovation because there's competition, right? Yeah, capitalism is what makes you safe at home because you have a home, because you have the ability to protect that home with doors that lock, with gates, with fences, with a dog if that's necessary, um, and with a firearm or whatever tool you choose to make available. Yeah. Capitalism created each of those, not government. And the ring system, I'm, I'm not, you know, embracing ring per se, but I'm talking about the security camera on your door. That's innovation. That's security because one company had a door lock. Another one said, okay, let's, let's put an alarm on the door lock. Another person said, let's put a camera. All those are competitive markets for your dollar that result in innovation, right? The evolution, almost like Darwin, the selection of uh, natural selection produces the best form of a dog uh, that there can be in a particular environment. And it's the excesses of capitalism that you described. Uh, the ring system works great, but the ring system also creates a gateway into your home. We know that the, um, the little systems that you have in your home where you can tell the device to turn on your lights, to turn up music and things, are listening to you. They're capturing information on yeah. you. And perhaps that's a proper role for government to restrict that or to create other opportunities because I don't want Google listening into my conversation. That's a great point. And, and uh, about a month ago, I had one of my sponsors, S3 Security, Ben Mozak, you probably know him. He said and reminded us, as you just pointed out, when someone has their serious or their, I forgot what that lady's called, you know, turn on the lights. Uh, Alexa. Alexa, when you have that on, if it's in your bedroom, they're recording you have sex with your wife. And I'm not trying to be lurid here, but I'm saying there is somebody on the other side listening to everything. Even your computers that have little cameras on them, be wary that 
it's not really certain that you're not being <laughs> captured vis-a-vis that camera. So all of these devices that are meant to provide certain services, there's also a dark side to some of that security as well. There can be. And yeah. we know that the internet monetizes everything. Every click you make, all of a sudden you're getting ads for that device. And that's fine, but there's a point where people are going to say, I don't want this. Yeah. Uh, my guest, Mark Abramson, owner of Los Ranchos Gun Shop. I am Jeffrey Candelaria. Straight talk with Jeffrey Candelaria. So where is your gun shop and have you moved or are you in the process of moving? We are moving shortly. We are currently just south of Osuna on 4th Street and we will be moving about the same distance north of Osuna. The former Wex or if you're a lifelong Albuquerque and JB's. Okay. Is that near the speakeasy place, kind of? Not not even. We're much further south. We're Much further south. We're closer to the Walgreens and Bank of America, right near the fire department is going to be our new location. Because I pride myself in calling out hypocrisy and candid candid thinking and, and questioning, may I ask you what your motivations were to move? Uh, it was pretty simple. The village of Los Ranchos acquired our building and the buildings around us to improve that area, to put in a mixed-use opportunity, and we were then uh, told we needed to be out. We were supposed to be out months ago. The village has been a great partner with us, but that building, our current building, is getting knocked down in April. It's no secret that certain segments of New Mexico and Albuquerque are liberal and liberal in thinking and policymaking. The fact that you're a gun owner, do you think there was any politics? Because politics are involved in everything. How significant were political motivations on their end in in exercising you out of that? Uh, we're place? staying in Los Ranchos. That was an intentional okay. decision right. because I have no interest in being in business in the city of Albuquerque. It's just too hard. Too hard to do business in because of taxation or regulation. Uh, taxation, regulation, building uh, issues, oversight. Um, the village or the village just follows state law. The city um, invokes its own, and there are some really weird gun laws in Albuquerque that have not been tested yet. And I didn't want to be the one to test it. It's just a lot easier working with the village where I can walk into the village offices, talk to them. They may not agree on everything, but I'll tell you, they made it happen. Los Ranchos clearly is in the county, though, correct? It is in the county. It's surrounded by the city of Albuquerque. Yeah, I got you. Okay. Again, uh, my guest is uh, Mark Abramson, owner of Los Ranchos Gun Shop. So during the Chinese virus over the last year, it's still happening. But I think when the governor dramatically took her mask off, front page of the journal, that was a message that it's from a what I call the psychology of the disease. That was her way of saying it's over. I mean, it's it's not over. There are still the variants that are in our midst, but I think it's pretty much over in the mind of the average commonsensical thinking person. Having said that, what was something that really surprised you as a gun owner during the Chinese virus, other than the spike in, in, in just people purchasing guns? Did women purchase more than men? Was there a spike in certain kinds of guns that were purchased? Uh, and, and beyond the consumership piece, 
What other things surprised you as a business owner during the two-year Chinese virus? The number of women purchasing guns, often for the first time, of all ages, both those who are single, with young children, older women, uh, who were you know, later in life, who have never had to worry about things. Uh, they were coming in for a first-time uh, purchase. Uh, African-American folks were coming in because they didn't like what was going on uh, with the unrest. Asian Americans, because they were singled out yeah. uh, during COVID, and um, many felt pressed upon. Uh, our gay, lesbian, trans community um, have always been purchasers, but we saw more, again, because violence against gay, lesbian people. So the point is, is all these different populations within the human experience, this thing called New Mexico, this thing called Albuquerque, this thing called Los Ranchos, were buying guns not for the purposes of hunting or committing crimes, perhaps, but for protection because... Our government, both at the municipal, maybe state and federal level, has really let us down in the minds of these populations. Is that essentially what you're saying? I think people buy guns when they feel uncertainty. If they have confidence in what is going on, that the message is being delivered, that safety uh, is being had, uh, I think things slow down. I think that's what happened in the early years um, of the Trump presidency, for example, uh, because people just felt confident nothing was going to change. Right. Um, sales yesterday after the Ukrainian, uh, I mean, after Ukraine was in, invaded, um, has, I mean, yesterday sales, and I've talked to other gun shop owners, were very strong yeah. because of the uncertainty of what is going on. Yeah. Again, this is an invasion and it's very similar in a lot of ways to 1939, September 1st, the Blitzkrieg, uh, Nazi, and in Poland, remember? And again, I'm not equating the two, but I mean, there is a certain parallel to it sort of generically. Remember when September 1st, I mean, Nazi Germany just Blitzkrieg the hell out of Poland. And within a week, Poland was, was done. And then, of course, that was the outset of, of, uh, of the Nazi uh you know, the evil of the Nazi uh, invasions of multiple countries, including France. Yeah, there are certain parallels. I'm always careful about dealing with Nazi Germany. On, that, that's why on I said anything. generic. That's why I said generic. I'm not saying this guy's Hitler. I'm not saying anything. I'm saying there are certain parallels that a country, uh, remember the Germans felt they were inherently uh, uh, almost enjoined to take over certain parts of Europe because they felt like that was their land thousands of years ago. The, the well, same kind of thinking is with this guy, the Soviet Union, Ukraine was part of that. Those are the generic parallels I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, to Hitler point did out. see uh, Czechoslovakia and parts of Poland as part of the greater Prussia from the late 1800s. Yeah, Bismarck. Otto von Bismarck. And, yeah. and that was lost. So Gdansk, which was Danzig. Um, you know, he felt that those were Germans and, and by right was part of greater Germany. Similarly, Ukrainians who have their own proud tradition ha was a vassal state of the Soviet Union. And they also had a pretty strong, when Hitler invaded the Ukraine, many Ukrainians embraced Hitler and there was their own uh, SS uh, formed that helped route out Jews and uh, socialists. Uh, so Ukraine is, 
an interesting area politically, and Russia views it very much as part of it. Yeah. And there are distinctions between the SS, the Gestapo, and uh, the, the military force and the people that were in charge of the final solution. I mean, a lot of people don't. The Gestapo is something of police, secret police, essentially. SS is a very high-level, different kind of a, a group. But those distinctions, again, the average person never really talks about. Other than uh, p- folks buying guns during the Chinese virus, particularly gays, Asians, African-American, women, were they buying certain kinds of handguns, I imagine, those kinds of things? Or what was the actual instrument of choice? Um, handguns and AR uh pistols, so any kind of modern sporting rifle that is now uh, a pistol, uh, also rifles, uh, people want to go and they wanted to shoot just out on the Mesa or at one of the organized ranges, but people were looking at if there was, uh, the phrase we use is the zombie apocalypse, if, if all hell broke loose, people wanted to be ready and to my knowledge, that that never occurred, but people were getting their minds around it. Yeah. And it was looking at the conspiratorial side of it. And, you know, we're seeing some people bring guns back in. They want them out of their house again. Uh, and we respect that. And we try to treat them fairly or give them an opportunity to sell their guns. But we're still seeing net sales. Very good. Again, my guest, uh, Mark Abramson, owner, Los Ranchos Gun Shop. I have him on the show, not just to talk about guns, but also business and geopolitics, because he's an extraordinarily well, well-versed well person and a, gu- a, a gun uh, shop owner here in Albuquerque. So other than that, did anything else surprise you as an owner of business? Because you have a lot of colleagues that are not, that weren't blessed in a sense to have their their shop deemed essential, if you will. Did you, what about some of those experiences? We just saw that quarters, you know, fifty years in operation closed down, which is emblematic of you know multiple things: uh, over regulation, not being able to staff correctly, not be able to carry certain kinds of inventory. The guy's a little older, you know. But that's an iconic place shutting down, which I think is emblematic of the Chinese virus taking a very pernicious toll on a lot of different industries. It is really difficult to not know if you're going to be open or closed on a certain day. We were forcibly shut down by the state police in March of 2020, and we were closed, but we were allowed to deliver guns because... So they showed up at your place? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they came in and demanded that we close, and I sent all By the governor's order? By the governor's order. Wow. We were not fined, but we were ordered to close. And again, I'm very careful about what I say when I talk about Nazi Germany, but remember, you're Jewish. There was the the night of long knives. I mean, remember, there was the Gestapo. I, I don't remember if it was the SS or Gestapo. Literally went to certain businesses and shut them down, in, in, in a sense. There was much more violence, of course, but I mean the very same kind of thing. I want our listeners to understand there were businesses here in Albuquerque and across the country where you had the state police coming into the business saying you cannot operate. I mean, I don't understand how there wasn't more pushback. I just don't understand. People accepted the thing, wore their face diapers for two years, 
30% of the population will continue to wear the face diapers because they're still afraid. I, I just didn't understand the, the absence of pushback. It is amazing to me uh, as a student of history how easily people capitulated. And I will grant you during the initial period in March, April of 2020, things were very uncertain. We didn't know the science. We didn't know the politics. We didn't know the source. We didn't know if this was going to kill half our population, whatever. And I think in fairness, the governor acted in a way that may have been um, heavy-handed. But initially, I think people were willing to go along because of the uncertainty. Well, I think an abundance of caution approach is fair, but that has to be ephemeral. It, it, you know, we were told two weeks, stop the spread. I think the average person, I tend to be defiant and rebellious. I admit it, straight talker, Jeffrey Candelaria. But I was willing to, you know, ease down my business and other things for maybe a month and then, you know, recalibrate how I conduct business. But this went on for two years. And, and that's the difference. Abund- overabundance of caution. I think most people will deal with that. But there has to be a leveling off unless it's a... Like, unless it's the Black Plague where, you know, one of three Europeans died. The greatest disappointment to me was our legislature, because while the governor had the authority in March of 2020 to shut things down, to take action, the legislature had already finished its session at that point. But the legislature let her continue to do that. And this state, I don't believe any state, and nor this country, is set up to have one person do everything. Yeah. Unencumbered. Well, remember, she was empowered because of the 1996 or 7 Emergency Powers Act. And again, I think our listeners should really consider, should one person have that much singular power? Because remember, before 1997, the legislator would legislature at that time and before mark would have commingled influence with making those policies and many legislatures whether i like them or not are more sensitive to business and all of that but given the grant the powers granted in 1996 i think it was seven the governor has singular power to do that and can do it again Right, but it was legislatively provided. It, it and was. The, and the legislature could change That's that. That's a good point, yeah. But when you have a government that is governed, and this is not a Democrat-Republican issue, it is one party controls the governors, the, the both houses of the legislature, the Supreme Court, and every statewide office, no one said boo. Well, that's New Mexico. We have no checks and balances here. Correct. And the founders wanted certain, let's say at that time, Whigs, which later became Republicans, certain Democrats. You need red and green chili to balance out that enchilada. You need a balance of marketplace of ideals to basically carve out some common sense, pragmatic policy. But unfortunately, New Mexico is so blue and there is no red counterbalance. And reds generally are, you know, pro military pro uh self-reliance and pro-business so we don't have that pro-business influence as we should to balance out the 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 tidal wave of blue in a state like new mexico it's very monolithic is to your point it 
I think you'd find that outside of the I-25 corridor, the big cities on I-25, uh, where there may be more of a progressive element, Democrats in this state who are representing their localities care very much about those businesses that are supporting the economy in each of our counties. Yeah. The exception being, I think, Santa Fe, Bernalillo, and maybe Doniana County. My guest, Mark Abramson, Jeffrey Candelari, Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelari. If you'd like to sponsor my show, jeffrey.candy77 at gmail.com. But remember, I-25, Albuquerque, 700,000 people. Los, uh, Las Cruces, 180,000 people. So that corridor right there is half or more of the population of New Mexico. So you're, you know, if you're a politician, it's always about votes. It's always about votes and aggrandizement. I digress. Let's continue to move on. What about this thing called background checks? How has that changed? How is it not changing? Uh, talk about background checks when, with respect to, uh, you know, acquiring a gun. Sure. In the first legislative session after Governor Lujan Grisham was elected, uh, there was a, a bill passed that required private transfers of firearms to have a background check. And we're seeing more and more of those background checks coming in. There are a number of exceptions, uh, the most important of which is a transfer within the family. Uh, it does not have to have a background check. Uh, so that takes a lot of transfers do involve family members. Another exception is if it's a gift. If I gave you a gun, don't get any ideas, but if I gave you a gun, there's no background check required. Interesting. It's only if there's consideration. So if you owed me so money. If I, if I pay for the gun. Correct. Saying, but if I just outright gave you a gun, whoever one to, to another, there's no background check. Didn't that, know that. That's not required under federal or state law. But we are seeing more people when they're transferring guns going through that process. And certainly if you're transferring it in interstate commerce, so if I'm shipping a gun to Texas, there's a background check done in Texas. Yeah. Uh, what about gun laws that have been adopted over the last, you know, three years or so? What Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, the big thing is uh, domestic violence relinquishments. If, if you're going through a divorce or an unfortunate time, you get an order uh, from the family court that says you need to relinquish your gun, that you can be ordered to do that. The statistic I found is that since uh, 2019, there have only been 75 relinquishments. Okay. That means 75 people said, yeah, I have a gun. Here it is while I'm subject to so this is order. This a, is this a self, self-volition uh, surrendering of my gun? In other words, y- you just mentioned divorce. Last I checked, you know, 60% of all marriages end in divorce. That's a lot of a lot of divorce, right? So, are, are we talking about divorce where there's uh, contentiousness happening and somebody challenges on the basis of contentiousness? In Correct. That? Okay. Yeah, that's if someone feels threatened that the person um, has a gun and may be used in a violent way against them or another member of the family. But there were um, 569 domestic violence orders issued. Uh, but 494 of those people declared they had no gun to relinquish. Whether that's true or not, I, you know, whether they had a gun and chose not to relinquish it or gave it to a friend so they said, I don't have a gun. 
But with more than half of the homes in New Mexico uh, owning guns or possessing guns, it's hard for me to believe that 494 of 569 said, I don't have a gun. Yeah. You know what's interesting, and I don't know that this gets discussed enough, Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelaria, Mark Abramson, my guest, owner of Los Ranchos Gun Shop. When our country was founded, we were a militia population for the most part. Remember, we beat the mighty uh, British force who had superior armament, superior tactical experience, more resource capacity, but we beat them on a guerrilla warfare basis, and populations needed to be armed in order to establish the country. And I'm only laughing because that's where the right to bear arms spawned. And again, I still believe I want my right to bear an arm to protect myself, go hunting. I understand that. But it was a very different contextualized period of time when that Bill of Right 18, what was that, 1793, I think it was, was put forth. Yeah, I would, I would challenge your premise. I think that the Bill of Rights was designed to say that there were certain rights that existed um, before there was a Constitution and before there was a Revolutionary War. Whether you look at that as natural law or, you know, I mean, you know, it depends on how deep you want to get into Well, that's them. John Locke, I think. Uh, right. 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 But talk about the social contract, yeah. So I have that right, regardless of service in the militia or how this country was founded. So that that right to speech, the right to um, a jury, which, you know, came out of the British uh, experiment, um, and the right to bear arms is really independent of the militia. There's reference in the Second Amendment. Um, you know, to a well-regulated militia. But the fact is that the right to bear arms for hunting, for protection, or for sport, which I think was less considered in the late 1700s, sport, yeah. I mean. But uh, those rights existed before. Well, that's a function of natural law, which was part of the Enlightenment period, which is really a philosophy that came out of Western Europe thinking. So remember, and I'm going to re-challenge you, that's not necessarily a, a construct, philosophical construct, this intrinsic right to own a gun and all protect yourself that may be part of the Asian experience as an example. This is, it's, it's almost a philosophical debate. And we don't want to get too esoteric, but I appreciate your wealth of knowledge in terms of understanding how important the Enlightenment period was, which was which took place around the 17th century. Having said any any and all of that, uh, getting back to uh, other uh, laws that were changed of any significance, Mark? Um, in this last legislative session, there were no gun laws adopted. There were a number proposed, and they have some frightening consequences. For example, safe storage. Who can be against safe storage? The fact that your gun ought to be secured when you're not in possession of it. Yeah. But should it be a crime if you don't? That's a great point. That's a great. And how is that policed? How do I know that your gun's in a safe at your residence, you know, in Tanawan or wherever the hell you live, right? 
How do you know? I live in the valley. Well, I'm, don't just, <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm using, you know, just a hy- okay. hypothetical. Um, yeah, there's no way of policing it until an event occurs, until a youth takes your gun into a middle school and shoots someone. And guess what? It's already a crime. Yeah, that's a great point. The parent, I mean, can be charged with, um, you know, with allowing their child to come into possession of a gun. Yeah. So it that really it wasn't a necessary push. Uh, we're going to see. I think um, waiting periods were sort of in the wing. You know, whether you can get a gun if you pass your background check. You can leave with the gun that day. Maybe, you know, we're going to see a push for three-day, seven-day, ten-day. Vermont's going to a 30-day. 30 days? That's uh, what passed the legislature. The governor vetoed it. We'll see what the uh, legislature does to it. Yeah, Vermont is another very blue, very liberal state. And a lot of times, you know, liberals make these policies. And a lot of times these policies actually are probably well-intended. But the problem I have with a lot of particularly liberal policies and actually policies in general is not extrapolating into the world of unintended consequence. And, and the challenge is if, if the, if the fight is about suicide and it's, it's a fact that about two thirds of the gun deaths uh, anywhere in, in this country are by gun because it's a tool of choice. But I can tell you with the 20,000 transfers we've done we've not had one person buy a gun and commit a crime or commit murder suicide or suicide so people are getting their guns in any way they can and slowing that purchase down is not really borne out by the data yeah so i want to ask you and and come back to business just for a second I, i i i was remiss in not asking I was at, uh, I went to a bar the other night, a chain restaurant, uh, met a gal, my wife knows, anyway, having drinks, uh, two drinks, and it took, I don't want to say forever, but for it took a long time to get service, right? There was one bar keep attending to about 30 of us, Right. So I asked her, I said, I know you're working as hard as you can, as assiduously as you possibly can, but can we order a drink? And she said, oh, I'll get to you. Example, again, of supply chain issue, people not doing jobs that they were doing before the Chinese virus. And that business is losing revenue because if there had been another barkeep, everyone else would have ordered another round. Now, I'm not promulgating drinking and driving. I'm just saying it's business, right? So have you seen, if you had experiences where you have had difficulty staffing at your place of business? Um, staffing has been a challenge. We have a great staff that, that are there to service um, you know, guests coming in. Uh, the challenge for us has been finding sources of materials. People come in, they say, I need this gun. Good luck. Um, a lot of times people are asking for reloading supplies, powder, which we're supposed to get. They're sitting on a dock at Yellow Freight, um, and we can't get it because they can't find it, but they know it's there somewhere. Yeah, And that's happened time and time again because they don't have the human resources to move a box from point A to point B. Yeah, And those challenges continue. Yeah. And again, 
uh, Biden, with his just absence of common sense thinking, destroying the fossil fuel industry, precluding, preventing oil and gas drilling on federal land, closing down the Keystone Pipeline. I want to remind our listeners, Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelaria, it's not just that you're going to pay $4 a gallon per gas under the Biden woeful administration, but oil and gas and fossil fuel also contribute to other things, fertilizer, certain kinds of plastics, certain other materials, other things that we take for granted, right, Mark? It's not just how much you're paying at the gas pump, but if we continue to reduce supplies of of fossil fuels, it affects other kinds of manufacturing uh, items, correct? Everything comes back to plastic. Yeah. And there are credit card companies that can't produce enough credit cards right now because of plastic. Oil and gas is the source of plastic. Oil and gas is the fuel that runs our economy, both in terms of transportation and in manufacturing and throughout the world. So what we're seeing in uh, these spikes uh, is going to create challenges. And more and more firearms are made from polymers, which come from Yeah, and you know, a lot of folks don't realize Biden, under his administration, which I think is just just an awful, incompetent, absurd of a mess, is we're buying millions of gallons of oil from Iran, a known terrorist country. Does the average person know this on Straight Talk, whichever when we were energy independent, whether you like Trump or not, just three years ago, we didn't have to be reliant on Iran, uh, so uh, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, uh, name a country, Russia, right? All these corrupt regimes. That we're now reliant on for oil and gas, your plastic cup, your plastic uh, cap on your you know, water, bottled water. Your five dollars at the gas pump, and Biden self-inflicted these policies. He did this to punish the oil and gas industry, but he's punishing we the people. Doesn't anybody just say to him, "Hey, I know you're about climate change and green, blah blah blah, but you're punishing the American people." Why do you think he doesn't connect that obvious, those obvious two dots in your mind? I think there was a long time when oil and gas production in the United States was, a st- was stable, but we wanted to use cheap foreign oil because they had it, it was less expensive, we could bring it in, and we still had our reserves. But what we've done here by capping everything, by penalizing the oil and gas industry, Um, And now we're using expensive oil. It takes us back to the 70s when OPEC jacked up all their prices. And empowering our enemies. Absolutely. We're making them richer. Does Does the person on Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelaria who hated Trump understand whether you hated him or not? This guy, Biden, who can't who reads from a teleprompter and doesn't have his own way of, you know, constructing independent thinking. We're empowering aggrandizing Iran, Russia, by buying oil from those people. And last I checked, those are not exactly uh, the most affable of countries in the world. And we're doing it because Biden has chosen to punish the oil and gas industry, and by virtue of that, 
We are being punished, we the people, the average person, and we're empowering our enemy. Why doesn't his staff just say on a whiteboard when he's awake, hey, wake up, Mr. What you're doing, what we are doing is what I've just described. I mean, why can't they just assess and assimilate something that obvious, in your opinion? It's it's hard to know. Saudi Arabia has always been viewed as our friend. They are not our friend. I agree. Absolutely. And Iran is, you know, absolutely despises the United States and manipulates us. And we allow ourselves to be manipulated by that regime. What's going on in Russia, the excesses of Russia um, are phenomenal. And if we punish Russia, they'll simply turn around and sell more oil and gas to Western Europe, which needs it, and to China, which would love to have it because they're trying to move away from coal because they're killing their own people with pollution. Yeah. But again, my question is, Biden did this self-inflicted capping of our supply, our inherent supply. We were energy independent three years ago. He cut he cut all that off. Well, not all of it, but a lot of it off. So now we're reliant on evil empires for our gas. That's why it's $5 a gallon. So why doesn't someone just say to him, let's let's reverse those policies, at least for the next year? Why do you think he doesn't just do that? I think this is the administration's way of accomplishing the goals of the so-called Green New Deal. Okay. The fact is, and we've heard it from our own governor, that she wants us to be energy independent without oil and gas. So it's going to be solar, hydrogen, uh, whatever resources there are that stay away from... But in order to manufacture hydrogen, you have to use gas. They're they're going to find an alternative because... They're smarter than us, remember? <laughs> that's, that's why people, please, engage in critical thinking. Challenge some of these policies. Hydrogen makes sense, but in order to make hydrogen at levels that are practically, that have practical application and usage, there requires a lot of energy called fossil fuel to make hydrogen happen. This is the same argument <laughs> I have with vegans right. who don't really understand the consequences of not eating good, sustainable meat, whether it's elk or deer or a cow or a pig. What are going to happen to those millions of animals out there when you're not hunting or butchering them? And they don't get it. Yeah. Well, and they're always... There's always that one vegan, you know, I don't eat cows, I don't eat pig. And, you know, he's got a leather belt, you know, and he's got, he's got his, little, his little Hyundai with his leather seats. <laughs> Cracks me up. My guest, Mark Abramson, uh, Los Ranchos Gun Shop. Okay, let's continue to move on. Gun violence, I know you have some, some metrics along these lines. Uh, sure. In, in gun violence, 2021 in New Mexico was the most violent year in our history. More gun deaths than in any other time. That says a lot if you think about going back to the cocaine epidemic of the early 80s. So we're seeing more and more violence with guns on the streets. And what does it come from? Uh, Part of it is enforcement. We allow, the police were directed at one point not to bother with low-level crime. Yeah. And the problem is low-level crime becomes bigger crime. 
and people group together and commit bigger crime. And then if it's too big a crime, they start arming themselves and then it escalates. Part of it is the defund the police. People felt empowered to do whatever because the police uh, are so overwhelmed and were so unpopular for lo so long, at least in you know Albuquerque metro area. Um, our police do a tremendous job. They're asked to do a lot more than anyone could understand, and there's not enough of them. Yeah. So what happens is they can't get to respond to the crime. They can't investigate the crime. The prosecutor doesn't have sufficient staff to prosecute the crime or get the police reports timely. So criminals are getting out and they're committing more crime until it escalates. Um, that's even without regard to the homeless issue. But uh, with the number of deaths um, that occurred, we're seeing, I mean, just crazy lack of respect for property, whether, uh, the, you know, the city, you know, with people doing donuts on with, in, with ATVs or uh, driving and hitting buses. Um, it's just a lack of respect. And those d people know they're not going to get prosecuted. So all this entropy going on, and Albuquerque is kind of a petri dish for the rest of the country in a lot of ways. You got tent cities, you got vandalism, home invasions, the gun violence, people speeding. I mean, I, I drive fast, so I'm, I'm going to call out my own hypocrisy, but I'm not going to drive 100 miles an hour down Montgomery, which is pretty par for the course on a I've Friday or Saturday night. I've seen that could do it. Oh, it does <laughs> 150. But what I'm saying is the, 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 the traffic violations of speed – this fascination with speed these days is, I don't remember it being like this. As a kid, I remember we'd go drag race at uh, Eubank, but it's all over the place. It's, it's almost, you know, ubiquitous to the city. And then to your point, this whole uh, almost victims over the last 50 years, maybe 30 in our country, they're not, it's not their fault kind of thing. What do you attribute all the entropy to, you know, the crime entropy because we're not talking about i'm going to go murder you i'm talking about i'm going to drive 100 miles an hour down the street because i want to race you which is you know that's still a, a violent crime because that car is an instrument of perhaps death the other day to your point this bus was hit by a mustang traveling in excess of 80 miles an hour 90, 90 miles an hour whatever it was i think there are a lack of consequences yes and if you i mean no one likes a policeman driving behind them because all of a sudden you're saying, okay, what did I do wrong? Even if you've done nothing. Yeah. If a policeman pulls you over, you're sweating because you're not sure what you did or you know what you did and you're not sure how that interaction's going to go. Yeah. The police don't have time to have those discussions with people. If you're flying down the road and you take off, they're not allowed to give chase right now. Yeah. And because we're subject to oversight because of some perceived... Well, Department of Justice and other things, you're right. So it's lack of consequence in the mind of the average person. Why did this shift in accountability and self-reliance, which I grew up with, and maybe that was just an illusion because I watched too many Clint Eastwood and John Wayne movies, but I did feel that... There was consequence, self-reliance, and if I commit a crime, 
you do the time. But now the shift is, oh, it's not his fault. He's black. He's transgender. He's been oppressed. He had a bad childhood. His mom hated him. Whatever. It's almost like the victim is almost an ancillary part of the equation. I think we're seeing that in schools. Talk to a teacher. I mean, when you talk about overworked people, I mean, it can get into a whole debate, but teachers are amazing. But there's so much administration looking over their shoulder, and they're not allowed to give homework now because you can't ask students to take work home because, what, their parents may feel incompetent to provide that oversight. And I think that just has transcended, and as these youth turn into teens and young adults, they're just following that that pattern. Is this a is this a policy making thing? Is it a philosophy? Is it it's almost like depowering the individual's capacity to self actualize, to to become more than they were. I, my mother died now as a kid. I talk about this on my show, Story Talk with Jeffrey Candler. My grandparents, I'm not even sure if they graduated from high school, but I got homework. They sent me to Catholic school. I didn't embrace the dogma. But I certainly had a hell of a lot of homework, and it was a great education, relatively speaking. And, you know, I was responsible for my homework. I remember I went to school. I never said, I never heard a nun or a priest or a teacher say, you know what, you got a D because you're Hispanic. I got a D because I didn't, you know, I got 60% on my algebra test. I, I don't ever really remember this whole because you're a part of a particular identity group or ethnic group or racial group, you're not as accountable to your education as the next guy. But isn't, I think, well, I think a lot of that has to do with, you have a lot of rights, and your right to ignore is huge. You have a right in New Mexico to own a gun, with a couple of exceptions. You can carry a gun openly in New Mexico. It doesn't say you have to get training. It doesn't say you need to spend so much time on the range. It doesn't mean you need to talk to someone who actually knows something about guns. But you have a personal responsibility to that. Some people do it. Some people don't. And I think it's that way in everything with society. You have right now a lot of abilities including the, you know learning how to drive, learning how to treat people. Sometimes that comes from parents. Sometimes it comes from peers. Some people don't care. Yeah. But I think the shift from when I grew up, you're accountable, self-reliance, you're a master of your own legacy, you're a master of your own destiny. Yes, you're Hispanic from South Broadway, but that's an obstacle. Overcome it. Don't be caught up in that, right? It's not like it doesn't define you. That's changed. Now, because I'm black and I'm transgender and I'm from South Valley or whatever the hell, that defines me. That's a shift that's profound, and I I don't know where it came from. I I really don't. I was uh, at a a, a networking event with Brian Colon, and he said to me something that resonated with me, and he said... With regarding COVID, he says, sometimes COVID's the reason and sometimes it's the excuse. Yeah. So the fact that you grew up on South Broadway, so what have you done about it? Yeah. 
and you've over not overcome. Well, I just, it. I, don't I, just that, want, I didn't want that to define me. I, I and I know that's very almost controversial to say because I mean there are good people from there and all that. I get that, but there were a lot of people that weren't good people from there that were in prison and died and did drugs and raped people. I didn't want to be one of those people, and I'm not sanctimonious. I'm not bearing anybody else, but I'll tell you what, I pride myself on on this thing called self-reliance we only have about two minutes i want to finish on this remington precedent very dangerous perhaps so as concise as you can okay Got about two certainly minutes. uh the protection of lawful commerce commerce in arms act was designed because there were lawyers and organizations that were suing gun companies specifically because they made guns not because of any any real reason other than trying to put them out of business, suing them out of business. Um, and that was the defense in this Remington case involving the Sandy Hook murders. And Remington was fairly successful, actually very successful under Palaka uh, in defending that. Where the challenge came in is there was a Connecticut law that uh, banned certain uh, kinds of advertising and had raised the bar. Remington ended up going into bankruptcy and uh, split up all its parts. So Remington Ammunition now is owned by Vista. Remington Firearms, uh, Marlin is gonna be made by Ruger. I mean, they're, everything the, was part of that. I think the, the, the point is, Sandy Hook happened, they, it, there were Remington guns, so they connected the dots all the way. It was the manufacturer's fault. Remington capitulated or whatever. And set a precedent that their gov- that their company could be shut down because of a, this litigation, well, and that's pretty dangerous, right? Perhaps? It is, but the ultimate settlement of the case was the insurance company settled the case. Oh. There was nothing left. The insurance company was left holding the bag, and they said, "We want out." Yeah, but it's still in the minds of ambulance chasing attorneys. If a gun company, let's say it's Smith and Wesson. There's a mass murder committed, and it's a Smith's Wesson gun. The potential for that precedent could be that now we're going to sue Smith's Wesson, the criminal who knows about that person. The company could be in jeopardy, is what I'm saying. The precedent, it, it pos- it's possible. It depends on right how they've marketed it and the state that the uh, suit is brought. So if somebody drives a Ford, like that black guy drove that Ford and, and, and ran into all those people three months ago, the Ford company could be sued potentially because they manufactured a car that ultimately ran over seven people when, you know, almost like circumventing the person driving the car. Every drunk driver could be the source of a lawsuit against the manufacturer because they could have put an interlock in every car where you put the key in, you blow in a pipe to show you're not drunk. And then you, it would make it safer. This cascade of just regulation and regulation and regulation continues to just in- interfere with every what used to be called liberty that we enjoyed. Any concluding thoughts, Mark? I think we have about uh, one minute or 30 seconds or so. Uh, no, I mean, it's been an, an interesting legislative session. I think it presages what's coming next year. Uh, This is an election year. I would just encourage people to talk to their legislators, find out where they stand, hold them accountable, and make sure you vote whichever way you decide. Make sure you vote. And vote based on policy 
And forget, don't get hung up on I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat. Think about the policies that your legislator or your mayor or whatever represents and hold them accountable to that. Eddie Aragon, thank you again for producing the show. Uh, Republican Eddie Aragon. <laughs> Republican. <laughs> uh, libertarian conservative straight talk with Jeffrey Candelaria. Thank you. Thank you.